Welcome to Scandal Water, where the tea is hot and the conversation lively. Your hosts, Candy and Ashley, will discuss a peculiar story somehow related to the entertainment industry. This podcast might not change the world, but it just might satisfy your thirst for an intriguing tale. Oh, it's that time of day. Tune in and hear what the ladies say. It's time to bend your ear when the silver screen appears. Stories about the stage and screen and everything in between. So come on and join the fun. The curtain opens in three, two, one. Stories and scandal water. It's where you need to be. Stories and scandal water. Let's pour you a cup of tea. Hello, Ashley. Hi, Candy. I'm happy today. You're happy today. I am happy today. Okay. Because when, you know, in the beginning of our podcast, we had a lot of surprise episodes, but we haven't had as many lately. I know. But today is another one of those surprise episodes. Yes, and it I'm is. happy about that. And I'm also excited because I think this is one that you're going to like. Oh, I'm interested in that. And we've a had a say. whole month of the way you always wanted to do the podcast, <laughs> the cornucopia of topics. Well, we'll see. We'll see if my prediction holds true. But I think that this is going to be one where you're going to have a lot that you want to offer. I think you're going to weigh in a lot. Oh, good, good, good. Okay. All right. So, you know, I like to start with a little warm-up question. Yes. Which will probably give away the topic, but we'll see. Okay. So, actually, in my research, I ran across this little article that was on a website called rediscoverthe80s.com, and they had researched the top 10 grossing movies Mm. from the 80s. Okay. Would you like to take a few guesses as to what you think some of the top 10 80s movies might be in terms of how much they grossed? How much they grossed. Okay. Mm -hmm. I feel like we talked a little bit about this when we talked about kid but i'm gonna guess 80s i'm gonna say something star wars mm-hmm. indiana jones and the raiders of the lost ark mm-hmm. ghostbusters nice i don't know if the goonies would make it it's kind of become famous i would assume karate kid will be on there too caddyshack okay. that's what i'm guessing all right you did really well here they are number 10 Top Gun. Top Gun. Ah. <laughs> Number nine, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Yep. Number eight, Back to the Future. Back to the Future, of course, yes. Number seven, Beverly Hills Cop. Mm. Number six, Ghostbusters. Five, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm-hmm. Four, Batman. Batman. Three, Empire Strikes Back. Oh, yeah, Bat. Batman came out in 1989. See? Yeah. Mm. Number two, Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Number one, E.T. E.T. Oh, yeah. I forgot about E.T. So I asked this question. Yes. Because obviously it's going to relate here in a second. Okay. Do you have a guess yet? I don't. No. Oh. No. I'm surprised. Okay. No, unless well, it's just like top movies of the 80s. Okay. All right. Well, we'll we'll keep going then. Okay. We'll see. Did I ever tell you I had a dream that I time traveled back to the 80s? No. I did. It was recently. Well, not too recently, but within the last several months. And it was a very detailed dream. It was back to the future-ish where we were driving on a road. And when we made the turn to go toward our home, it was like when you turn there, you went back in time. And I had huh. this whole scheme figured out in my head how I was going to get in contact with my mom. Oh, so the point was you needed to get back to your current life no the point was to tell them where i was 
house oh, because okay. I didn't know how to get back. But it was, I decided that because my grandparents lived in this certain place and they had this certain piece of furniture that had been there forever and it was still there today, mm. that I would go and write a letter and leave it in this piece of furniture so that my mom would find it. So when I told her, I actually woke up and told her, if I ever disappear, <laughs> here's, here's the plan. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yes. Oh, that is so funny. Yeah. I had wow. a plan. Okay. So basically you dream in storylines. I well. did. Yes. Yeah. I had another, it's, it's crazy. I do. I dream in storylines and usually I will wake up right before the danger. Like interesting. Right before it. Okay. Now I just have to follow this out since you knew you were in the eighties. Yeah. Were you like in really fuzzy hair? No, I was like, no, and... I looked like I look <laughs> oh. now. And it, we were, it, it was Brian and I, and we were in the car, like the little Sonic and we're driving through and everybody's looking at us like, who are these people from the future? <laughs> And we're driving really slowly. I was like, oh my gosh, we're going to be stuck here. And then I was thinking, this could not be too bad. But then I thought, oh, all the writing I want to do. I won't have the internet to look things up. <laughs> I have to actually have knowledge. But then again, <laughs> the things that you would, like Back to the Future, the yeah. things that you would know that right. haven't come out right. yet. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. <laughs> well, as we've discussed before, I know this has come up. We've talked about the fact that there is so much 80s nostalgia. Like mm-hmm. people are really into the 80s right now. Even my kids, they talked about in high school or college there have been 80s parties or 80s music has come out to be certain songs to be popular oh yeah the one from stranger things yeah Mm -hmm. it's now song yep it's now on the regular channel that's exactly right and so i was thinking about you know why do i think that the 80s are so popular and of course that's fun i think i think it was so colorful Mm -hmm. and so upbeat Mm -hmm. even the music videos you think about everything was always kind of like neon colors yes boppy and bright and i also i think i've shared this before in an episode i have this theory that retro is always cool like you know oh yeah that it's always a thing that people you know for example when we were talking about happy days we were saying mm-hmm. it was cool at that time for the 50s be, right to be looking back at the 50s well i came across this newsweek article that was speculating about why they think the 80s are so popular right now and mm-hmm. i thought this was intriguing because they they tried to analyze three factors that they thought were behind that one they said that there was a lot of innovation in the 1980s film industry so therefore mm-hmm. their film stood out and they mm-hmm. have some unique films and that's one of the reasons they think the 80s is popular now this one made total sense to me in fact I think this piggybacks on my theory of how retro is always cool they said that it's kind of a thing when you're young and then you grow up and you get to that time that you're artistic and you're creative and you're now in the workforce Mm -hmm. that you will bring out your nostalgia factors so the people who are creating films right now are going back to when yeah that makes sense that are pulling from their childhood yeah and so a lot of the 80s is because they're making movies or films or songs or TV shows or whatever it may be that are based in the time and it's interesting because if you didn't see the Goonies as a child and grow up with the Goonies adults that watch it now for the first time aren't as Mm -hmm. drawn to it as those of us who watched it over and over when we were kids and identified with them they were our age right you know like like they are family to you yeah people to you yeah yeah and of course the last reason they identified is that there's always a little bit of a fear of gambling on something new sure so if you're out there and you're trying to create new films or shows or whatever rebooting something that's already out there or stealing ideas from something Mm -hmm. that already exists that was popular that's just kind of an easy thing to do so that's what newsweek speculated all that to say 
you predicted it. I probably did. Probably without even realizing it. What? This episode is focused on Stranger Things. <gasps> Stranger Things! Yes. Oh, cool. Yes. Awesome. Because Stranger Things is basically a love letter to, to the, the 80s. 80s. Yes, it That's is. That's what it is. Oh, those Duffer Brothers? The Exactly. So as... Probably all of our listeners know season four came out not too long ago. Did yes. you binge it like I did? Of course. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and I thought it was a good season. It was. It was very good. I liked it better than season three. Yeah. Season three is probably my least favorite because they did the, if I felt like the whole moonlighting vibe between Joyce and Hopper was just sort of forced yeah. th- them fighting and that's not who they are. Mm-hmm. I didn't like that part of it. And then I guess we need to say spoilers, right? I don't think we have to. Okay. Well, the part where the little, the little Russian... Mm-hmm. kid got killed was sad mm-hmm. just they're always sad but that just seems so senseless yeah there were certain you know? things that, mm-hmm. yeah. well as we've said season four just came out and this show has been going on for years now and it has not slowed down a bit mm-hmm. in fact it's bigger than ever when i started doing my research i did not realize just how big it is but oh here's, it's humongous here's a little piece of data that that i think illustrates it it said that stranger things latest season is netflix's most popular english language tv series ever it tracked 1.15 billion hours that were viewed in the first 28 days that it released wow yeah And even before season four premiered, it was actually three months before that, Netflix and the Duffer brothers, Matt and Ross Duffer, the twins who Mm -hmm. created the show, Mm -hmm. they had already confirmed that there would be a fifth season. In fact, the Duffer brothers had put out an open letter that announced that it's going to be over. Yes, that Mm -hmm. series five was going to be the finale. And here was a statement from that letter. Quote, seven years ago, we planned out the complete story arc for Stranger Things. At the time, we predicted the story would last four to five seasons. Mm-hmm. It proved too large to tell in four, but as you'll see for yourselves, we are now hurtling toward our finale. And they assured us in that letter that season five is going to wrap up all the stories of everybody in Hawkins, and they put out the teasers that there will be some follow-ups, even yeah. after Stranger Things. I think ends. they're going to branch out and do different... They said, I read something that said they have an idea for, not a spinoff, I don't know the right word, it may be a spinoff, but no one has been able to guess it except for Finn Wolfhard, who plays oh, Mike. Really? He was able to guess what it it is but they won't say what it is that i saw the same thing that they had put out the teasers Mm -hmm. um in fact here's a quote there are still many more exciting stories to tell within the world of stranger things new mysteries new adventures new unexpected heroes Mm -hmm. and a cnn article just from this past july definitively announced there will be a live action stranger things spinoff yeah why wouldn't there be right that would be foolish money so much money foolish but i loved how they ended their letter with this i guess Yes, bringing us back to what's in front of us. Here's the quote. But first, we hope you stay with us as we finish this tale of a powerful girl named Eleven and her brave friends, of a broken police chief and a ferocious mom, Mm -hmm. of a small town called Hawkins, and an alternate dimension known only as the Upside Down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, such nice wording, too. Mm -hmm. David Harbour told GQ in an interview that they're really pushing, hoping that season five will come out in 2023, but it really 
probably could be 2024. We don't know. I know. That's the worst part of it is you wish it could get out faster so that that momentum stays. It's Mm -hmm. hard when you wait so long between Mm -hmm. the stories. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, it's funny because as I was doing all this research, shout out to Entertainment Weekly because I pulled a lot of information Mm -hmm. from them. They have covered Stranger Things so much. But because this has been spread across so many years, they would have to do whole recaps before the new season came out. They'd be like, okay, just to remind you, here's here's everything that happened, which was helpful to me because I was trying to remember all these different Mm -hmm. seasons too. But yeah, it's been a a lot. It's been a a lot of years. So I thought it would be fun for this episode Mm -hmm. if we went back to the beginning and talked about you know some of the behind the scenes some of the interesting little trivia about the first season but then also touched on the other three sure as well. just basically we're gonna take a little walk through stranger things nice i was actually <laughs> thinking just the other day like ah, it's it's halloween season i need to rewatch the first season of stranger things because it took place during the halloween season so before we jump in i'm gonna ask you do you remember your reaction to when stranger things first came out because i was blown away i remember not being on the train as quickly as everyone else our friend rachel is actually the one that introduced me to it and mm-hmm. she loved to do this thing where she likes to spook me out imagine <laughs> that so she came over and we watched i know we watched together up through when barb died because mm-hmm. she was excited to see my reaction to this which was appropriately entertaining yeah. and then i f- i can't remember if we watched the whole season together but after that i was really i was really stuck on it and i introduced it to brian and i remember re-watching it he would say okay w- one more episode yeah. o- okay just just one more episode then we're stopping for tonight but you would just you You were so drawn into it yes oh and I do remember like even from the very beginning that 80s vibe Mm -hmm. and also I think it was a maybe it's not in my mind I'm wanting to say it was kind of an 80s idea to take young children and put them in danger like just that like the Goonies did that. Right. I mean, so many of those movies, like, that's just what happened. Mm-hmm. Whether you had It or whether you had Stand By Me. Stand By Me. Or, mm-hmm. you know, so many things. It was like these young children who were banded together mm-hmm. against Well, yeah, some, that's what makes you, you want to root for the kids. They're so vulnerable. Yeah. And they're the ones in danger. So your heart immediately goes out to them. These poor, fragile little children. But they're not that fragile. Mm-hmm. At least I like the line, she's our friend and she's crazy. <laughs> Yeah. Well, we were excited. Kirk and I were on it from the word go. There was so much hype. I do remember that. And I remember even from the opening of the first episode, within the first few minutes, Mm -hmm. it was so in your face. Mm -hmm. It's like, not only did you have this great storyline that was immediately engaging and drew you Mm -hmm. in, and you had that suspense from the first few moments or beginning, I don't know how quickly it came in, but, but it was fast. But you also saw the, as I said, in your face nods to the 80s. Oh, like, yeah. Like even the opening credits. Oh, and, yeah. yeah. And the music and the electric mm-hmm. sounding. I liked it because it was just exactly in my wheelhouse. The only thing that would make this more perfect to me is if, if in season five, they time travel in some way. Like that <laughs> would be, this would be the encompassing of everything that I love because I love the supernatural elements. I love the alternate dimension. I love that it's got kernels of truth in it because uh, Montauk was a real thing. They really did this to these children so they've got little kernels of truth spread out throughout this whole series and the 80s nods and all that stuff it's just right in my wheelhouse oh awesome all right well this is going to be a fun episode i thought it would be well from entertainment weekly here's just a very brief summary to capture that 
first season. The series is set in small town Indiana in the 1980s, where a mother, Joyce Byers, played by Winona Ryder, searches for her missing son after he disappears under mysterious circumstances. She enlists the help of local authorities in her quest to locate the boy, though she uncovers a series of government experiments and supernatural forces along the way. Mm -hmm. And of course, as we've already alluded, Netflix in their press release literally said the series functions as a, quote, love letter to the ubiquitous cult classics of the 1980s. Now, again, from Entertainment Weekly, one of the things that they did that was cool was they got the actual brothers, the Duffer brothers, to either weigh in through interviews or literally write so many of the little articles that appeared in Entertainment Weekly where they would give recaps or they would give behind the scenes or they would share their thinking. So, so much of this information came from the brothers themselves, which I thought was very cool. Yeah. A lot of these insights, straight from Duffer brothers, again, credit to Entertainment Weekly. But one of the things that they said was... They grew up loving the films of the 70s and 80s. They said they were particularly obsessed with the movies of Steven Spielberg and John Carpenter and the novels of Stephen King. Mm. And so they pointed out that though their stories might have varied widely in a lot of different ways, one thing they said that all their stories have in common is, quote, they all explore that magical point where the ordinary meets the extraordinary. Yes. Now, you've already alluded to it. In these articles, now, you you called it truth. The, the article I said it was a, a conspiracy theory that a lot of people sure. believe, and, I, yeah. and it sounds like you do. Yeah. But they said their show was originally going to be called Montauk, Montauk. Mm-hmm. because it was inspired by the Montauk Project. They said this is a long-held conspiracy theory that's out there that the U.S. military conducted experiments on children in Montauk, New York, during mm-hmm. the 80s. The actor who plays Dustin, Gatton Matarazzo, had a quote in one of the articles where he said, it's based on a place in Montauk, New York called Camp Hero. There were, like, rumors of secret government spies doing human experiments to fight in the Cold War. It's based on that one government lab. Now, to go on with this, people who believe this theory claim that children were kidnapped and abducted and had mind control experiments conducted on them for psychological warfare research and time travel. Ah! (laughs) The experiments were allegedly conducted at both Camp Hero and Montauk Air Force Station, and one fella, Preston B. Nichols, claimed to have been one of those abductees, and he ended up mm. publishing a book about his experience called The Montauk Project. Oh, I'd like to read Experiments that. in Time. Because mm-hmm. basically, Eleven is remote viewing. I've never really grasped how they do it, but it's, you know, The Men Who Stare at Goats, that movie, that's also based on something that the government did, which is teach people how to remote view, which is to be oh, in one so spot and I to be able to saying. view okay. something else. She's, rem- she's remote viewing. I've never heard that term before. Yeah. Okay, I'm with you. Yes, yes. I totally see what she does. Yeah. Now, Now, this same article went on to point out that the Montauk Project is a conspiracy theory. Many people believe it. Many people don't. Mm -hmm. But they said that the CIA actually did conduct a program called MKUltra. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And the purpose of that project was to develop drugs that could weaken people through mind control. And it was organized in collaboration with the U.S. Army Biological Warfare Laboratories. So So they'll cop to the adults, but they won't yet cop to the kids. Well, (laughs) We did tests on adults. But we're not going to tell you we did the kids yet. So what it says is that knowing that they based the Duffer Brothers based it on these two things, mm-hmm. you can then, of course, see it 
in the oh, Stranger yeah. Things plot lines. It's pretty MK Ultras is like when you say a key word and the person does something and then they don't remember doing it. Yeah. Well, and I, I didn't read very much. It was very superficial. But I think it was also that idea of giving psychedelic drugs or, mm-hmm. you know, drugs to try to control. So the brothers went on to talk about casting. I thought this was fun, too. They said that they knew they needed a great casting director because it was a big job. They brought on Carmen Cuba and they ultimately auditioned 906 boys and 307 girls in order to get their cast of the kiddos. Okay. They made the kids read select scenes from the first episode of Stranger Things and also a few classic scenes from Stand By Me. Oh, interesting. Because the brothers felt that it was a film that features not one, not two, but four of the greatest child performances in film history. Now, mm, isn't that cool? That is very yeah. cool. They finally, after they'd kind of narrowed it down, they flew the finalists to Los Angeles and they had those kids read together to test their chemistry. And then ultimately mm-hmm. that's how they came out with their cast. So they'd already put the kids in contact with each other. They pointed out the kids did come from all over the place. I believe the character who plays Dustin Gatton, Matarazzo, Caleb McLaughlin, who plays Lucas, and Noah Schnapp, who play Will. I think they were all three from New York, but you had Finn Wolfhard from Canada. Gatton was, Gatton and Sadie and the, I don't remember the boy's name that plays Lucas. They were all on Broadway, I believe. Sadie was in Annie. I don't remember what Gatton was in, but that's cool that they let Gatton sing in that one episode. Oh, that's cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And of course, Millie Bobby Brown is from the UK. Yep. Yeah. So they came from lots of different places and the brothers said they knew they wanted the kids to act like best friends, which means they really wanted them to be friends. Mm-hmm. So they tried to set them up to have a relationship right away. And they said they didn't even have to work hard. And once those kids connected, they got each other's phone numbers and they texted all summer. Mm-hmm. So by the time they actually... Is this after up, they were cast? The ones they picked? They yes. Made, okay, yes, gotcha. Yes. After they were cast and they'd met each other, they did not start filming until after the summer in a, when they came together in Atlanta. But the kids had been texting each other perfect, all summer. Perfect. Like they were already this close-knit group. So... That that's the kids. They had a great great setup going over there, but they knew they needed a really strong adult to anchor the show, is what they called it. That was their phrasing. And so immediately, the casting director Carmen wanted Winona Ryder mm-hmm. to play Joyce, and especially the, because she's from the '80s. Exactly. She's a huge star of the '80s, and that's what the brothers said. Yeah. They said they fell in love with the idea immediately because they were big fans of hers. Like mm-hmm. they associated her, especially with the '90s. I think she was very late '80s, or yeah, you know, '90s. Now David Harbor, of course. It was a tiny bit of a different story. They really liked him. He plays Chief Jim Hopper, referred to as Hopper many times in the show. They said that he was very much an actor's actor. Mm. He'd never really been a leading man, Mm. but they wanted to change that. And Mm -hmm. they said David did too. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, David gave some quotes at one point in an interview. He said he loved the character Hopper because he feels the row harkens back to an old school type of Hollywood hero. That was his quote. He said that Hopper is not a superhero. He screwed up and he screws up a lot Mm -hmm. and he's not afraid to make a jerk of himself. Mm-hmm. And he solves problems with both his brains and his fists, mm-hmm. which he feels is like Indiana Jones. Yes. And yes. one of the first things David said when he got cast in that role was he wanted to wear a hat. And yes. he wanted to hair- wear it all the time. And he knew a hat maker that could make it for him. Wonderful. <laughs> yes. So moving into a few more of our pieces of trivia about season one. And actually, I know you know a lot. So you jump in at any time if you want to throw something out there. But remember how we talked about the opening title sequence and how it immediately brought you into the 80s? Well, that's because the brothers wanted it modeled after the work of Richard Greenberg. He was the fella 
who had designed the title sequences for movies like Alien, Mm. Superman, The Goonies, and The Untouchables. And so these brothers really loved the way he would use the lettering of the movie titles to, this is their quote, create hypnotic combinations of movement and color and shadow. Interesting that they used the word hypnotic. Mm -hmm. Mm. So they got their little group that was working for them, the Imaginary Forces is their name, to model after Richard Greenberg. And that's how they came up with that opening title i love it i I love watching credits when they're interesting you know sometimes i can tell by the opening credits if i'm going to enjoy the show it's true it sets a tone this is another just random little fact for the isolation tank scenes where 11 had to be fully submerged in that underwater tank Mm -hmm. she was sensory deprivation yes she was able to breathe by wearing a sea trek helmet which is designed, they said, for shallow underwater walking. And above water, it actually weighs 70 pounds. Oh, wow. Yeah. But I mean, obviously in water. Yeah, it's fine. Flotation. Yeah. Now, every single season had multiple 80s movies. Oh, that yeah. That were the inspiration for some of their nods or, or some of their straight up, I don't know, sequences or, yes. or events that would yes. happen. Yes. I can't name them all. We could, we'd be here all day. But just to kind of pick out a couple. In the first season, not even subtle, they did try to give some shout outs in the the way they handled things to, to point us back towards E.T. Mm-hmm. So for the bicycles and stuff. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. The bicycle scene was in episode seven, straight up reminiscent of E.T. That mm-hmm. wasn't, yeah, right in our faces. Also, the brothers talked about in their chapter two, they said E.T. is about a connection between E.T. and Elliot, you know, kind of this extraterrestrial, this alien Which is thing kind of 11, right? That's exactly what they said. Yeah. They were thinking about that as they were trying to show the connection that was starting to develop between 11 and Mike and Mike mm-hmm. yeah so that was very much and the little dress she wears yeah when so. she's in the pink dress that's what E.T. was wearing right I don't even recall but now when they dressed it, that I makes think sense. so yeah when they dressed her up in the blonde wig and the pink dress I think it was the same thing as ah, E.T. was yes, wearing that's such a good point I hadn't even thought of that and then another nod was in episode four, they literally titled it The Body, mm. which was obviously the same title for Stephen King's short story, The Body, oh. which was the basis for the film Stand By Me. Okay. Yeah. And they said, here was a quote from them. We love that story and that film with all of our boyish hearts <laughs> and its DNA is written all over the show. And of course, they even have a little scene where they're going down the railroad, railroad tracks. tracks yep. Yeah. Straight up from Stephen King. Now, talking about the monster, they said it had always been a lifelong dream to create a monster and to bring it to life on screen. And they specifically said not computer generated, but for real. They wanted to build it because they said a lot of filmmakers their age grew up on films that existed before computer graphics. Yes. And they felt like when they thought about their own, what's the word, favorite Mm -hmm. monster Mm -hmm. or horror movies, those real monsters were better than the CGI. Yes, that's what they thought. That's what they thought. So they knew from the very beginning they wanted to build an animatronic monster. So to design it, they hired a guy named Aaron Sims, who they called a wonderful concept artist. And they talked about all the old movies and what they loved about them. And that's how they kind of came up with their idea for their monster. Here's a little quote again from the brothers. We all felt their monsters, meaning the monsters from these 80s films, mm-hmm. were so effective because of their strangeness. If you were to encounter a being from another planet or dimension, we imagine it wouldn't look like anything you'd expect. Mm -hmm. The more bizarre, the more frightening. Mm -hmm. Eventually, we landed on the design you see in the show. An unnaturally thin monster with no face, 
long arms, and a head that opens up like a disgusting flower when it's feeding time. Yeah, like a starfish or something. Yeah, I'm gonna pause for a second and ask you: Did you like the monster? I mean, do you do you did you think it was scary or did I think he was scary? Like, yeah. How do you feel about the monster? No, I didn't think he was that scary. Me either. I'm, no. I'm, 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 I was reading it going, oh, guys, I really love how thoughtful you were, mm-hmm. but I didn't really like the monster. No, I didn't like it. I mean, mm-mm. something about a flower opening up. I tell you, the, the thing that was even spookier to me was in the last season when those their bodies were contorting. That was terrifying. That terrified me. Yes. I had to watch that through my fingers. Yes. But no, the Demogorgon, that did not scare me. Just a little aside from us, I think we're armchairing a little early, mm-hmm. but I just had to ask because yeah. I was a little disappointed with the monster. Oh, no, I was fine with it. I didn't want to be <laughs> terrified. <laughs> I was okay. I'm like, I can watch this. Yeah. Oh, okay. well, there you go. <laughs> well, the next step after the design was made, they had to build it they did that working with a company called spectral motion who again had been involved with creating some other films i'm very surprised they didn't use industrial light magic lucas's company that is interesting well all this to say they eventually ended up with their monster which they loved obviously and i'm sure many people do that's fine that's yeah but they did occasionally need some computer-generated special effects, which is, you know, no problem. They did that with the help of that same artist, Aaron Sims, who also runs a small company that, that can handle CGI stuff. Mm-hmm. And maybe they didn't want it to be too scary because then some people wouldn't watch it like me. Yeah. I think it was more about the uniqueness mm-hmm. more than the terror. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, you can, it's, it was still very suspenseful, just not horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. One last comment about season one before we move on to season two. Found out that the Duffer brothers were originally going to kill Eleven at the end of the first season. No kidding. Did you know that? Mm-mm, no. So when she went through the wall, that was supposed to be her actual death? I don't know if that was going to be the exact way they did it, uh-huh. but they were in a little Q&A at a university and one of the brothers explained that... Uh, originally this was pitched as a limited series they thought Mm. it was just going to be this one oh just the one season and so their idea was that 11 would sacrifice herself to save the world and that would be the end but then when they started to realize this was going to go on Ah, that changed everything yeah because i was thinking if they killed her off then what's the point of the rest of the seasons Mm -hmm. it's focusing on her story exactly Mm. well actually before we move on to season two do you think we should take a little break let's do it Right, we're back to talk about season two, which is probably one of your favorites because it added Sean Astin. Yes. Oh my goodness, <laughs> Bob. I, I know. I had to take a breather when he mm-hmm. died. Yeah. I had to walk away. I had to shut it off because I got so emotionally overwrought yeah, because so I sad. didn't. I don't want to be in a world where there's no Sean Astin. <laughs> I just didn't. I was like, Bob. Well, oh it was my so goodness. Funny because the whole time I kept going, Is he really? Is I he did really too. Evil? I he, did is too. He really that sweet. He's like, really that sweet. And then, and then once you realized that, then you were even more traumatized I to know. lose him because you I were know. like, he really was that good. He really was just that good <laughs> he guy. He loved her that much. He did. And then yeah. he. Mm. All right. It was really upsetting. All right. Well, to back up for just a second, here's a brief summary to remind us what season two was about. And by the way, it came out in 2017. Crazy. I know. It says season two introduced a new evil the Mind Flayer, or the Shadow Monster. Mm -hmm. It's basically a giant, horrifying spider larger than the entire city of Hawkins. Mm, That'll do it. The Mind Flayer controls the Upside Down and everything inside it, from the Demogorgons to the Vines. 
In season two, the monster took over Will's body until the end of the season when Joyce used heat to draw it out. Mm -hmm. During the season, Eleven also spent a great deal of time hiding from the government and living with Hopper until eventually she got tired of that and ran away. Ends up finding other Hawkins Lab children and also discovered that Papa was alive. Yes. Yeah. So those were some of the big things. There were more, of course. We also brought in some newcomers. This is where we had the character Max. Oh, yeah, Sadie. Yes, Mm -hmm. she came in and her older brother, Billy. And, of course, they're going to end up playing an even bigger role as we move through. But we started having a little more romance in season two. All kinds of things happening. Kids are older. Hormones Mm -hmm. are raging. Oh, yes. So about Bob. About Bob. What about Bob? (laughs) In this Entertainment Weekly article, they gave a little quote. They called Bob Newby a kind-hearted former nerd who went to high school with Joyce and Hopper and now manages the local Hawkins Radio Shack. I think it's a stretch to say former nerd. (laughs) He's still fully, fully a nerd, but he's a wonderful, sweet, darling nerd. Yes. And the writer of this article went on to comment that the casting of Sean Astin, who played Goonies leader Mikey in Mikey. the iconic film, yes. may be the biggest nod yet that the Duffers have given to the 1985 movie, which, of course, was one of the big inspirations behind Stranger Things. Oh, yes. Yeah. I think Sean Astin actually went to them and said he wanted to be in it. He probably did. I didn't see that part. I did hear he had some comments about how he wanted to die, which I'll share with yeah, you here yeah. in a second. But, but before we get there, I was also going to comment that Paul Reiser comes in. Mm-hmm. This season, of and course, I couldn't figure another... out if he was good or bad either. Same, I couldn't. They I did was such like, a good, good or bad, job. Good or bad. Of, yes, they did a really good job of mm-hmm. making us wonder. But he was cast as Dr. Owens, who was quote a high-ranking member within the Department of Energy on a cleanup assignment tasked with containing the events of last year. Mm-hmm, yeah. And so season two opened the week of Halloween 1984, and they, there were some trick-or-treating scenes with that core group of the kiddos, of course, That's that right. we know, and yeah. they were dressed as Ghostbusters. That's right, they were. So a fun little behind-the-scenes stories is that in order to use those Ghostbuster costumes, the creators, Ross and Matt Duffer, had to actually have a conversation with the film's director, Ivan Reitman, mm. and star-slash-co-writer Dan Aykroyd. To get permission. To get permission. We know all about permissions mm-hmm. now, don't we? They had to, oh, <laughs> Yeah, they said that they had to approve it. Yeah. But the Duffer brothers were such huge film fans of Ghostbusters and these guys that they were beyond thrilled to get to have that conversation. And they were also... Probably even if they said no, we're like, we don't even care. We just want to talk to you. (laughs) Well, they said that Ivan Reitman was so nice. He actually read their scripts. And this is a quote from Matt Duffer. He had seen the first season or at least had heard of it or pretended like he had, (laughs) but they were really into being part of the show. Then they sent us all these Ghostbuster toys at the end of the shoot. So they were beyond excited about I think that. I think it was smart to allow it because they're not portraying the Ghostbusters in a negative light and anytime your brand is not being portrayed in negative light why wouldn't you go right. ahead and allow it to be used because it's a huge revamp of interest in your brand right it's free advertising yes yeah obviously in addition to Ghostbusters Stranger Things this season also you'll love this had a little nod to Jurassic Park when that whole scene where the characters were trapped in Hawkins lab surrounded oh. by the yes 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 that was supposed to be jurassic park yeah the kitchen scene. Yeah. Oh, you guys. I, I like it. that you hadn't caught on to that. I did not remember that. Probably if I saw it or when I saw it, I would have remembered, but I'd forgotten. So isn't it ironic that Bob died in your Jurassic Park inspired scene? Whoa. Yeah. 
In fact, they said, here's a little quote from that article again. I'll paraphrase it. But they were talking about how Bob had to reboot the power and unlock all the doors. But that's ultimately right, gets eaten right. by a pack of the creatures just feet away from that exit door. And she has to watch it happen. And Hopper mm, has yes. to carry her away. So awful. Now, a fun fact. That was not the ending that was intended for Bob. He mm. was supposed to die much earlier in the season. In oh. fact, an early draft had his death occurring back around episode four. There was this scene where Bob drives Will to school and he's telling yeah. him about standing up to this terrifying yes. clown, Mr. Baldo, in his dreams. Yes. Well, in this one draft, that's where he's supposed to die because Will is supposed to be overtaken by the Mind Flayer in that moment and kill Bob. Oh, heavens. Yeah. But the Duffer Brothers loved working so much with Sean Astin. Who wouldn't? Right? Keep him till were... the end? Let him live? <laughs> well, they were so impressed by the depth he had brought to his character yeah. that they wanted to keep him around longer. And they said that Sean specifically kept insisting, or probably requesting very nicely, that if Bob was going to die, he really wanted it to be heroic. Of course. Do what yeah. he wants. Give Sean in the world. And so here's a quote from Ross Duffer. Bob was always intended to die, but we fell in love with Sean mm. and what he was doing with this character. Once we got to episode eight, we were like, we either got to do this or not do this. Mm-hmm. But I think it was important in terms of the stakes of the show. Mm-hmm. This is not a kid's show and there are consequences yeah. and people do die. Yeah. But we are sad to lose him because he really just blew us away. I love him so much. I, I just do. And it's not like a ooh romantic love. I just... I love him like a person. He just, just seems so sincere, yes, so earnest yes. in every role. You just believe him. I do. And you like him. I want the best for him. Has he ever played a bad character? I don't know. Like, I think that might be part of it. Is He's always played an extremely like, likable person. Like a Jimmy Stewart? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. We may have the secret of Sean Aston figured out. Now. We may. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a quick look at season two we're moving right on to season we are three. skipping through mm-hmm. season three debuted in july 2019 and again we had a lot of summer going on through mm-hmm. here in this little we kind of put two summaries together so i'll read this from our, our imdb was our primary source in eight episodes the party plus max and 11 the scoops troop nancy and jonathan and joyce and hopper follow separate trails to the same gruesome truth the mind flayer is still creeping around despite a 11 closing the gate at the end of season two and so then this other summary picks up there and says again the biggest villain in season three is the mind flayer mm-hmm. this time the monster goes against people in the town and possesses them starting with the local rats and then a lot of it revolves around the possession of max's brother billy mm-hmm. and we also spend a lot of time in the mall mm-hmm. There's, in fact, the massive battle that occurs in the mall and definitely given spoilers, guys, but Billy ends up dying so that the Mind Flayer can be destroyed. And we end it with Hopper appearing to be dead, but then there's a teaser post credits that reveal he's being held in a Russian prison. Yeah, they couldn't kill off Hopper. We knew. We all knew it. You just couldn't. I I didn't even believe it in the moment. No. I did not get emotional because I was like, they're not going to kill kill him off. No. No, he's going to make it. The last thing that you must remember is that at the end of season three eleven had lost her powers right which was supposed to be the big you know cliffhanger yeah for season that's four. right mm-hmm. and at the end of the season she had also moved away to california with will joyce and jonathan mm. yeah so, because they thought hopper was dead so we're just getting out of dodge right yeah they they wanted us to leave us in this state of oh no nothing is all as their we friends are it. apart yes, yes what are we gonna do um, and turns out we're gonna wait three years <laughs> 
So a couple of behind the scenes things that are interesting about this season. They had, I didn't remember this until I saw it. They had Sean Astin return to film the, that brief cameo at the start of season three, rather than they were doing a little flashback scene mm-hmm. of him with Joyce. And they started to oh, say- Oh, where he was like- I don't even recall what it I was. I don't either. It's been a while. But they said that they were they were going to just try to pull some old footage. And then they were like, you know what? We want him to come back. Well, yeah. So here's here's what they said straight from Matt Duffer. Sean was really great and gracious. He flew in for one day to shoot that scene with Winona. We had talked about, like, we can just flash back to them dancing or whatever. But we really thought it would hit a little bit harder if there was a new moment between the two of them. Mm-hmm. That was hard, too, just having Sean back for one day. Winona and Sean are especially close. It just made everybody miss him that much more. Mm, okay, petition for, like, the time travel <laughs> in season five where we go back and we pick up some of these people and we just (laughs) arrive. Avengers did it. We can do it. You know, they arrive at certain moments and just rescue them. Although I do want Joyce and Hopper to be together. So you've got to come up with a new love interest for Sean. Well, I think we just have to let Sean go. No. (laughs) Just let him go. (laughs) (laughs) So season three is also where we met Maya Hawk. Oh yeah, like Maya. Who plays Robin. Mm -hmm. And it took me way too long to figure out that she was the daughter of Uma Thurman. Are you kidding? Just look at her. Well, once you know it, it's obvious. But it wasn't like I made that leap, you know. Oh my goodness. And one thing I thought was cute in an Entertainment Weekly interview, she talked about how much fun it was to play against Joe Keery, who plays Oh, they're adorable. And she said, quote, he was just so wonderful and hysterical mm-hmm. and lovely. In fact, they tested them for chemistry. And of course, you know, they had it passed the with right. flying colors. You know, she's probably my favorite Joe from Little Women with apologies to Winona Ryder. But they did oh. a miniseries very recently, probably maybe around 2017, 2018 PBS miniseries. And I loved her portrayal. Oh, I haven't seen that one. It's very, very good. It's like three or four episodes. Well, no, I want to check that out. You should. Yeah, I had not seen her in anything else before this. She was, I'd seen her she, in that. And she then was saw. a newcomer to me. Mm-hmm. Another thing that she shared was that the Starcourt Mall was an actual operating mall. Looked like the mall from Bill and Ted. Well, I don't know about that, but she said there were people in Atlanta walking through and shopping. Like, as oh. they were filming, like, she, she, her quote was, there were Atlanta people wandering through shopping at JCPenney, <laughs> but there was a whole side of it that we entirely refurbished, totally decked out to look like the 80s, yeah. had everything you could think of in your 80s mall. The Gap was a gold mine. Nice. So that was her quote. So yeah, they shut off one part of the mall to make it over into this big movie set. Mm-hmm. And the other part was still open for business. Interesting. Think, yeah, that is you interesting. You could be an extra. You know, those signs, if you walk past here, you could be in, you'll be in it. I'd be walking past there. I'd be like, do-do-do-do-do. <laughs> <laughs> the Duffer brothers talked about the fact that they purposefully put Steve in this job in the food court because they wanted to kind of wanted it to be a little bit of a funny sign of how far he'd fallen oh, yeah. in the popularity Poor chain. Steve. You know? But they also were doing it as a nod to Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Oh, because interesting. Because in that movie, Judge Reinhold's character worked at a nautical-themed restaurant. Oh. So that was a nod to an 80s movie. Gotcha. And another cute thing was that Maya pointed out that she actually liked her costume that she was in. Uh-huh. She said that she has a little bit of some individualistic quirky taste. She liked the highway. She liked the stripes. It fit her style. Uh-huh. She said, uh, Steve, not so not much. Not so much. <laughs> not so much. I can't imagine <laughs> why. I was not thrilled about that. 
And then the final piece of trivia is that Hopper's final fight scene was inspired by the airplane sequence in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh. And then, of course, again, we ended with that cliffhanger that wasn't really a cliffhanger, you know. Right. Because they gave it away. Yeah. All right. We are now ready for season four. Man, we are jumping through the years. We are. We are. So here's our summary. Due to the events in Hawkins and the imminent danger to her friends, Eleven goes off with Dr. Martin Brenner and Sam Owens to a secret facility to help her regain her powers, while Mike, Will, Jonathan, and his friend Argyle try to track her down. Meanwhile, we also have Steve, Nancy, Robin, Dustin, and Eddie Munson tool up to infiltrate the Upside Down and stake Vecna, who is a big bad guy in this Mm -hmm. particular season, in his coffin, while Lucas and Erica enter the terrifying Creole mansion to offer Max as bait. Yeah. And then in the series finale, only the Hawkins kids and Kate Bush, <laughs> if you've seen season four, you know that she's the one the, behind that song that is now mm-hmm. popular again. It was an 80s song that didn't do well then, but it does now. Yeah. Um, but only the Hawkins kids and Kate Bush can save the world. Nice. So before we talk just a little bit about a few of the trivia pieces, this is the one that we just saw yeah. that uh, we loved. We've already kind of alluded to a few things. So just before we share some of these trivia pieces, let's just react for a minute because this one's fresh for us. Yes. My are, favorite scene. You want to know my favorite yes. scene? And it's maybe not what you expect, but it's from a filmmaking perspective. The scene where, I don't remember what chapter it is, maybe four, where they are in California and they go to the door because they think it's pizza that's being delivered. Mm. that's one shot and you think based on appearances you think that the um, african-american man is going to be the hero of the scene and the kind of chubbier guy is not but my goodness that guy turned into bruce willis Mm. and he protected those kids and i just get goosebumps even thinking about it i loved how it was one shot i loved the action i loved the unexpectedness of it i will go back and just watch that scene it was so amazing wow okay it's my favorite my absolute all the way through to where our gal comes up with the van cool so good i would not have even thought of that mm, i mean i favorite. remember thinking it was a great action scene yeah but i did not analyze it in that way what i loved was something that we touched on earlier but but just to flesh it out a little bit more i loved the downright terror that i felt with the way they would oh my gosh have, they would take the characters up into oh, the air i could not and the way look that at would that play out and then they would start breaking oh I, Kirk and I would sometimes try to identify. We would be like, okay, parts of this are like Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh. oh parts of the, you know, we would start trying to like Mm-mm. name. See, I've not even seen any of those movies oh. to know that connection. I just know it spooked me out proper. Well, it definitely, I think, was, I think Nightmare on Elm Street was the, this is me guessing. This is not from research. I didn't see this named, but my take on it is that was probably the biggest influence on mm. this season. And even the fact that they brought in Robert England to do a cameo, I think he played Freddy Krueger. Who did he play? Freddy Krueger. No, in the cameo. Oh, remember the scene where the man who's blinded, um, what's his name? Oh, that was him? Mm -hmm. Oh, well, that makes sense then. I think that was my favorite part because to me, it was so scary. Yeah, yeah. It gave such a sense of powerlessness. It's Mm -hmm. like, it's like, how are you going to defeat Mm -hmm. this thing? Yeah. How do you come back from this? Yeah. Yeah. Our friend uh, Jaden and I, we were talking about it because it was right during when we were doing theater camp and we were talking about one of the one of the negatives of this season to us if I'm remembering our conversation was too many characters it was kind of hard because it was almost like they were telling 
so many stories that nobody really got concentrated on. When we had our earlier seasons, we just had the kids right. and then the couple of adults. Now we've got all of these people and they're so beloved. You want to give everybody their moment in the spotlight, but that turns out that you have a whole season, but really they only got about 15 minutes and then they mm -hmm. only got about 15 minutes. So all the storylines seemed a little thinner. Yes. I, I enjoyed the season, but that's what I didn't enjoy about it is mm -hmm. there was too many people to follow. Yes, I have two different thoughts that I want to follow up with and they go totally different directions. So I'll say this one first. Unpopular opinion. I know I'm going to have a lot of listeners who want to argue with me on this, but I felt like the whole Hopper Joyce storyline was a little thin. Mm -hmm. like yeah, that's what I mean. Sometimes I was just a little like, just move back to the other storyline. You mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not as interested in this one. It's mm -hmm. a little goofy sometimes. Mm -hmm. Let's just with the Murray lookalike yeah, guy and all let's that. Just scale it back and mm -hmm. like give us more meat and more time with the other story. Yeah, either go rescue him and get that done and then we just don't see him for a while. Right. Or yeah, bring him back into this storyline. Yes. Go get him, get him out of there, get him back and like, let, I think your point is valid. Let's kind of come together. Mm -hmm. um, what I did like is I did like in this one how the adults were very trusting of the kids because mm -hmm. early on yeah. they were like, oh, they're kids. They can't handle this. I can't do that. And in this one they thought, yeah, the kids will take care of it. Right. They just trusted them and I like liked how everyone is kind of coming into themselves, like how Nancy used to be this ballet sweet girl and now she's got the shotgun and she knows how to handle herself. It's just mm -hmm. not expected, yeah. all of these characteristics. Yeah, lots of relationship changes. In fact, I know that it's been a big thing all over the internet, the fact that Steve has now turned into like the bro and yeah. the dad. Yes. <laughs> like, like especially yes. the dad. That yes. was the big joke. I, think, I love him and, and Gatton together. I, they've already said it, the spinoff is not going to be Steve and Dustin, but I think that would be the most fun. Like, yeah. why wouldn't we do a spinoff of those two guys? Well, you brought me to my other point because the bromance, I think, was Eddie Munson with Dustin more so. Don't mm -hmm. you think this season? Yeah, and, it was a little bit of... That's a, something that didn't quite hit right either because Steve and Dustin had grown so close and for Steve to be treating him the way he did this mm. time was a little out of character. Yeah, there were some things that... It, I, I think you're... I keep going back to your word, thin. It just didn't mm -hmm. quite fit. It was kind of like, we just need to do this for say, the sake of this particular... The sake of conflict. Yeah, conflict or storyline. So we're just going to make this happen. Mm -hmm. Now, and I didn't even look up his name. I need to take a minute to look it up. But the fellow who played Eddie, what was his last I name? Keep, I keep hearing Eddie Munson. I was like, Eddie Munster? Why I know, did I, you I, name I, him that? <laughs> I might have said that, actually. Oh, Joseph Quinn. There he is. Yeah. Joseph Quinn is the guy who played Eddie Munson, an 80s metalhead. Who, who looks like Robert up, Downey Jr. Hello. He did kind of, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. He heads up the Hellfire Club, which is Hawkins' official Dungeons and Dragons club. Yeah. And he ends up being a, a central figure in some of the things that are going on right but he was a breakout star yeah I he mean, was people, people were loved they were very him. upset when he died but think about it where was he what was he supposed to do everyone thinks that he killed chrissy he can't go back there's no proof that he didn't they had to kind of, the same thing with Bob. They had to take him out. It's very, very sad, but they wrote him into this. There was they, nowhere else for him to go. They wrote him into it to kill him. They, yeah, you, they did. They, you could you could see, as if you stepped out and you looked at it from the writer standpoint, mm -hmm. you knew it was coming the whole mm -hmm. time. And plus they brought him in to kill him because yes. they won't kill any of these main exactly. characters. They just won't do exactly. it. Exactly. Well, 
picking back up, we've already actually hit on some of my trivia facts, so oh. this will be really quick. But it was Robert England of Nightmare on Elm Street who played the recurring role of Victor Creel, who was described in this article as, quote, a disturbed and intimidating man who was imprisoned in a psychiatric hospital for a gruesome murder in the 1950s. That he didn't commit. Mm-hmm. And then Jamie Campbell Bower was the actor who played Vechner. Number one. Mm-hmm. Now, I did not know that he was Harry Potter's young Grindenwald. I did not know that. Yeah. So this is a fellow who had multiple roles. In did you, four. when did you figure it out that he was that person? Not till close to the end. I knew he was, I knew he was somebody yeah. because he was too creepy not to be yes. somebody. And that I knew he was manipulating her and I mm-hmm. knew he was lying. I figured out that he was number one yeah. before I figured out yes. that he was, are we going to say it? Are we? Yeah, I think we have to. Okay. Before yeah. he was Vecna. Yeah. I figured that. I figured out, oh, he's number one. He's the first one. But once you see the body type, you're like, oh yeah, they look, yeah, that's him. It makes sense. It makes sense. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I was the same way. I knew something was up. I knew he was going to play a role. I got to the number one mm-hmm. and then yes. I was a little late to the game on the other. All right. Well, that's it for the facts I had for season four. Facts of life. (laughs) I thought I would end with our armchair question. Armchair psychologist. Why? Why do we love Stranger Things so much? Let's just weigh Mm. in. What is it about this series? Well, I think we talked about it in the top of the, for me at least, we talked about at the top. It's got all the nostalgia and deep dives, Easter eggs. So people who watch watched a lot of television, a lot of movies like mm-hmm. I did. Not the scary stuff, but the other stuff. You recognize all of it and it it pings that nostalgia like, "Oh, I remember that." But it's not some of it's overt, some of it's not. The supernatural elements, the at least in the earlier seasons, the deep characters, the way mm-hmm. they interacted with each other, they seem like real people, real friends. Like we said, season 4 is a little thin. I hope that they go back to the roots of it in season 5 and concentrate more on story and not just show pieces mm-hmm. like here this look you want to see this you want to see that no just tell us a good story i'm okay with stories ending as long as they're complete mm-hmm. and we can always go back and rewatch it yeah. and they got to end it the kids are going to get too old yeah i think we've said it but i don't know that we named it i guess oh. in addition to it being thin i think what i missed was we didn't get to see the relationships of everybody together exactly they, they were separated, so separated everyone that you only got to see them in pockets mm-hmm. so like we didn't see hopper and and joyce with the kids right you know very much at all right so i really hope we reunite and we get that whole bonding thing for the entire cast because that's one of the things that you love exactly and now we have argyle i thought they were going to leave argyle with dustin's little girlfriend her sister eden because he clearly fell in love with Eden. I thought, oh, great. They'll just leave Argyle here. Then they'll go on back. He came back with them. Where's his family? <laughs> you know, is no one missing him? I mean, he's a he's a fine character. I thought he was the surfer dude. He represented a part of the 80s that right, was right. very, um, it was there. The Bill and Ted kind it's of characters. Yeah, the stereotype yeah. surfer guy, which is great. But what's he going to do in season five? What are they all going to do? It's just all of these all of these company of characters. What are you yeah. going to do with them? Yeah, find a way to bring this together, guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, another thing that I realized I love about it is we've, we've named so many things, you're right. But I think today in our world, 
So many of our movies that are, or TV shows, whatever it might be, that are scary rely on graphic, gratuitous violence or over-the-top things that I don't want to watch. And I think that's part of it is this almost has an innocence to it. You have the scary stories, but because it's about kids and because it's trying to call on these old 80s movies and because they're intentionally adding humor into it, Mm -hmm. it also has this feel of innocence and fun, even in the midst of all the horror, you know? Yeah. And I think that that's something that that, uh, is appealing to me. I agree. Well, as we bring this to a close, you think we might want to cheers those Duffer twins who I brought this so. to life? Yes, cheers to the Duffers and also Sean Aston. <laughs> cheers. Cheers. If you love what we do, please rate and review our show. Or you can become a supporter by making a donation through buymeacoffee.com slash scandalwaterpod. Whether a single gift or a recurring monthly donation, it would go a long way towards supporting our work and allowing us to keep the tea brewing. At our website, www.scandalwaterpodcast.com, you can submit questions or your own story ideas, access our sources and show notes, see the merch we offer for sale, and more. You can Join the Scandalwater community through our Scandalwater Podcast Facebook page or follow us on Instagram or TikTok at Scandalwater Podcast. This episode was executive produced by Candy Thomas, that's me, and Ashley Raymer Brown, that's me. It was researched and written by Candy Thomas and edited by Ashley Raymer Brown. A special thank you to Josh Martin, who wrote, composed, and performed the Scandalwater theme and other music, Matt C. Adams, who created the artwork, and Joshua Reith, who designed our website and provides ongoing technical support. As a reminder, this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes. The thoughts and opinions of the host during each episode of Scandalwater are their own and do not reflect the opinions of any future guests, advertisers, or clearly professional psychologists. Thanks for listening.